Something that I did forget to mention earlier that I just want you aware of is that today is potluck Sabbath. So there is a meal provided, a free meal immediately following the service. And so if you are a guest here today and you didn't know about it, unless you didn't bring any food, we still want you to stay. There will be enough for you there. We want to fill your bellies. But right now, we want to fill your heart. Today, we continue our sermon series looking at two of the most pivotal words in all of Scripture, but God. And there aren't many words that have brought so much assurance, peace, and strength like this little phrase. We spent the first two sermons in the series looking at the book of Genesis, but today we will shift our focus and land in the New Testament. This but God phrase, it shows up three times in the book of Acts. And what I find super interesting is that in each of these three cases, it's talking about one specific concept. Acts 2.24, it says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. If, if the context isn't clear, the hymn being spoken of here is Jesus. And then in the next chapter, we read, you killed the author of life, Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And then 10 chapters later, the phrase appears one more time. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb but God raised him from the dead. Humanity put Jesus to death, but God raised him from the dead. This is the emphasis of all three of these verses, and it's the literal bedrock of the Christian message. It's the gospel, but it's not just about what happened with Jesus. It's also about what it means for us in our lives. But more on that later. For now, I wanna focus a bit on the book of Acts, where all three of these but God verses come from. And if I had to choose one thing to say about this book, to describe what it was about, I'd say the book of Acts shows the unleashing of the Holy Spirit. The early disciples showed a holy zeal, but it wasn't from their own laboring and trying. No, it was animated and vitalized by the Holy Spirit. And all of this was recorded in the book of Acts for our benefit. We, the Lord's people today, can receive assurance and faith from the Holy Spirit's working in their day because we know that it's the same Spirit who is working here in our lives today. Do you realize that all of those mighty things that the apostles did in the first century are what God is inviting each one of us to partake in today in the 21st century? And if we have faith, in the words of Jesus, then we can also expect that not only will God produce and accomplish similar works in us, but he will produce and accomplish even greater works than we see in the book of Acts. Woo! 
the time has come for a thorough reformation to take place within the body of Christ, which is the church today, but not a reformation of trying harder, not a reformation of pressuring other people to do more. No, there needs to be a reformation in the church today in terms of our believing and trusting in God. When we open our hearts to accept the message of righteousness by faith, then all dependence on self will die and we will come to fully depend upon God. It's not the capabilities that you now possess or ever will that will give you success. It is that which the Lord can do for you. We need to have far less confidence in what we can do and far more confidence in what God can do for every believing soul. Dear friends, do you realize that God longs to have you reach after him in faith? Did you know that God longs to have you expect great things from him? Thank you, Ron. (laughs) When we place all of our faith in God and what he says, then we will begin to pray big prayers. We will begin to ask for big things for the gospel's sake and believe that he will accomplish them. Do we believe that when the gospel is preached that it has the power to convert hearts and minds in an instant? And in such a way that 3,000 people can hear a sermon and then immediately ask for baptism. The disciples did. They expected it. That's exactly what they saw. (laughs) That's what they witnessed. Yet, that didn't happen every time, right? Didn't happen every time. Regardless of the gospel's power, God still allows men and women to make the free will decision, to make the choice whether to accept or reject it. In Acts chapter 2, there was an overwhelming excitement, an excited acceptance from the crowd when they heard the gospel preach. Yet in Acts chapter 7, there was an overwhelming vehement rejection from the crowd when they heard the gospel preached. Same seed, different soil. Same message, different response. Yet there is a phrase that you'll find in both of these stories. After hearing the gospel message preached, both groups of people were, quote, cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. But it's not just the type of blade that cuts bone and marrow. It's one that can divide soul and spirit. It cuts to the heart. It can judge our attitudes and intentions. God is the good surgeon. But not everyone wants the heart transplant that he offers. But the gospel message cuts. Are we willing to let it cut us? Are we willing to hear it? Why do we come to church? Why do we listen to sermons? 
Is it so that we can go to it with an intellectual mind and we can pick it apart and talk about all the things that we didn't like, all the things we wish would have been said, and we go away upset, we go away angry, I wasn't fed. Why are we going to church, y'all? Spiritual maturity will bring us to the place where we know that no matter what silly preacher like me, Paul refers to it as the foolishness of preaching, no matter what sort of foolishness is spoken, if the word is preached, if the word is connected, then the Holy Spirit power can change you and bless you and reach you and cut you. God is the good surgeon. But again, not everyone wants the heart transplant that he offers. Thus, we see two diametrically opposed, two different responses in these stories. And it's not very clear in the English translation. But, but, but the Greek that is translated into cut to the heart in both stories, it's actually two different Greek phrases. Two different things are being said here. The Acts 2 response we find the word katanugasin te cardia, that's the Greek, which literally translates to severely troubled and made sorrowful. The Spirit of God used Peter's message to evoke his state of mind in which they were ready to respond to the gospel and faith, and this crowd, praise God, didn't fight that spirit. We are told that 3,000 people received the gospel gladly, repented, and were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Yet, in contrast to this beautiful story of Peter's preaching, Stephen's preaching got an altogether different reaction in Acts 7. There, we find the Greek term diaprianto tyscardias which literally translates to sawn asunder mentally and thus infuriated. Wow, infuriated by the gospel. Stephen's words evoked a state of mind in which far from being ready to receive the gospel, they acted in a way that was unbecoming of grown adults. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. More on that later. (laughs) But these are the only two responses to the gospel of Christ. Ready acceptance or stiff-necked rejection. That's it. There is no middle ground. And often it is not only the message that is rejected, but God's messenger as well. Stephen saw that front and center. became real to him. Often the rejection of the gospel is emotionally or even physically violent. But even when the rejection looks like an outward show of quiet indifference within the heart of the gospel rejecter, lies enmity against God. As we saw in the first part of our scripture reading for today, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. But the good news, dear friends, is the the, the verse doesn't end right there. Yes, wickedness engulfs the world, but God 
and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Amen. Amen. You once were, yet now you are reconciled, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach in Christ. That is your identity, y'all. That is what God says about you. And we saw some, a, a little peek into this good news there at the end of that description in Acts 7 too, right? Because the man who is holding the coats of those killers has quite the change of heart Amen. later on. Dear friends, don't view someone's rejection of the gospel as permanent. Just as Saul had a powerful conversion, so can that person that you've been praying for for all these years. So can that person who attacked you when you were presenting the gospel to them. And don't believe the lie that they are too far gone or it's too late for them. Remember how far gone Saul was? Before meeting Jesus, Saul held the coats of those who murdered Stephen. He wreaked havoc in the early church, dragged Christians from their homes, and threw them in prison, all while threatening them with death as he conspired religious leadership. After his conversion, this is what he had to say to King Agrippa about the horrors he unleashed upon the early church. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and this is probably the worst part here, and compelled them to blaspheme, to give up their faith. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. These are some horrible, horrible things. Saul seemed like the unlikeliest of candidates to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But God wasn't done with him. The story doesn't end with Paul, Saul's terrible deeds because then Saul met Jesus. When Saul had first heard the gospel message, he was cut to the heart in the way that led him to feeling sawn asunder mentally and thus infuriated. But then on that lonely road to Damascus, he met Jesus and was again cut to the heart, but this time in the way that led him to feel extremely troubled and felt sorrowful. Thus, Saul, the stiff-necked religionist, became Paul, the submissive evangelist. Saul, the persecutor of Christ and his people, became Paul, the persecuted for Jesus' sake. Saul, the blasphemer, of Jehovah God became Paul, the ambassador for Christ. When we look to the book of Acts, there are a multitude of lessons for us to learn and consider. 
But I'd like to share just a few as we wrap this message up. First of all, no one is too hard a case or too far gone to be transformed by the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Could there have been a harder case than that old man saw? The early believers and even the apostles in Acts 9, they had great difficulty in believing that this man had really changed. But it was true. Saul, he met Jesus and he died. But he was resurrected into new life in the spirit. That old man died. They thought they were looking at the old man. Paul knew better. And they learned better. Paul was a walking, breathing example of what Jesus meant in John chapter five when he said this in verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, look at the verb tense there, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Whoa, this is what life in the spirit is. This is what life in the spirit is. And it's ours too if we'll hear these words from Jesus and believe. If we have faith in God, we will believe what he says is true. Another thing we can learn from these stories in Acts is that it's never too late for anyone. It's never too late for anyone. Do not stop praying for your friends and loved ones, y'all. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on the Holy Spirit. Do not stop loving them with the tenderness of Christ. God brought a thief, a deep sinner, to repentance and faith in the last moments of his life as he hung on a cross next to Jesus. I've known people who have spent decades praying for spouses who eventually came to Jesus. Don't believe the enemy's lies that it's ever too late for someone. If a person is still breathing, God is still working. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, we've got to remember that Jesus told us to expect to face trials and tribulations. As we share the good news, we may face mild ridicule or even vehement rejection. But dear friends, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. We've been promised in Colossians 2 that the fullness of God dwelled within Christ bodily and now his spirit dwells in us. We have been filled with the very spirit of God. And God is love. And perfect love casts out fear. We can boldly move forward sharing Christ with the world. In both word and deed. Not afraid, but trusting in spirit. Proclamation of the message by the power of the Holy Spirit is our responsibility. Proclamation of the message by the power of the Holy Spirit is our responsibility. But the results, whether acceptance or rejection, either temporary or permanent, are according to the work of the Spirit who convicts the world, as Jesus said, of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. 
Again, we toss out the seed. God tends to the soil of people's hearts. Just be patient, kind, and loving with people because we too once were enemies to God. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And this, fellow Christians, is what Christ's death and life means for us. It's what it means today. We once were enemies of God. We once were children of darkness. We once were in bondage to sin. We once were condemned. But now, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've been reconciled back to God. That's what the scripture says. Now, because of that reconciliation, we are friends of God. We are children of the light. We have been set free from sin and forgiven. We have been justified in Christ. And the fact of the matter is this, it wasn't just Christ's death and resurrection, but by faith through baptism, it was our death and resurrection too. Sound too good to be true? (laughs) Maybe Maybe you'll take it from the inspired word. Galatians 2, 12 through 13. You were buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him having again, pay close attention to the verb tense, having forgiven you all your sins. This is why we can say that God has power over death. This is death to life. This is life in the spirit. This is spirit-filled living. This, dear friends, is your reality. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Amen. Dear friends, if you're struggling to accept these verses, then I ask, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Because if it's in yourself, it will always fail. If it's in your own abilities, it will never be enough. If it's in your works, you will always fall short. But if your faith is in God, and him alone, then the message of the gospel will be good news to you indeed. And if it's good news, then you won't be able to shut up about it. You're gonna look all wide-eyed and crazy like I do. Because this is good news. This is the best news. For any excuse that you might be tempted to believe, You can say it, say it out loud, voice it, but then you need to follow it up with another two words, but God. I used to be scared, but God. I used to be unbelieving, but God. I used to hold on to anger, but God. I used to believe lies, but God, because the truth of the matter is this. All of those things describe who you used to be, 
who you used to be, but that old person is dead, and you are now alive in Christ, filled with the Spirit, blessed with every spiritual blessing from heaven. It's Ephesians 1.3, for those of you all taking notes. So, dear Christians, there are people out there who need to know about what we've got in here. And there's no weapon formed against you that can stand. Fellow Christians, dear friends, go forth sowing good seed in Jesus' name. As we close, I'd like to offer you a practical way to apply something from today's sermon. So pull out your phone and take a picture of this week's secret place practice. What I'm asking you to do is spend some time each day this week reading and reflecting on John 5:24 and Colossians 2:12 and 13. Write them down. Say them out loud. Read them in different Bible translations. And as God's truth permeates your mind, soaks in, then ask him to reveal any unbelief that you might be holding on to, anything that is holding you back from walking more in faith. And there's no, there's no shame And speaking like that father in Mark 9, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. There's no shame in being honest with God. There's no shame in saying that prayer. You might think that your faith is too small and to get to a point of walking fully in it, it's too big of a thing, but remember, God longs to have you ask for big things from him. Pray with me. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we are just in awe of you. We serve a God who has power over death. Lord, we don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. And Lord, through faith, as we practice baptism, We can claim and believe that his death on that cross was also our death and his burial was our burial and his resurrection is now our resurrection. Filled with the spirit, living under grace, holy and blameless in your eyes, we are called saints because you've said it's true. Yeah, Lord, we still live in a sinful world. Yes, we are saints with the ability to sin, But Lord, we do not identify with that sin anymore. That is not who we are. We are justified by you, forgiven. And Lord, I believe that as we sink deeper into that belief, as we accept those things in faith, it will allow us to let go and your spirit will live through us, work through us. And the stuff that the law wanted for us but couldn't accomplish, we will see fulfilled through your spirit. It's not talking lawlessness. It's talking faith. Letting you do those good things through us so that we, at the end of the day, when we accept our salvation, we know that we have it. We've got nothing to boast about because it was given to us by you. 
So Lord, speak through us, work through us, live through us. We thank you for doing it and 